It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpell.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, July the 26th, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I'm coming to you live from isolation in beautiful Austin, Texas, where we've had a few storms moving through, and hopefully they'll stay away during the course of this program. They're the remnants of Hurricane Hannah. And I hope you're all staying safe wherever you are, especially those of you in South Texas who've been more directly affected by the hurricane and the flooding. And we'll be keeping you dry and nice and cozy right here. We have a great show in store. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. Steve Perry, motivational speaker and the educator Oprah Winfrey, Sean Pitty. I can't speak. (laughs) Sean P. Diddy Combs. Bishop T.D. Jakes and Steve Harvey call on to offer insights to parents and children. And Dr. Perry is the author of several books, including Push Has Come to Shove, Getting Your Kids the Education They Deserve, Even If It Means Picking a Fight. And he's host of the daytime talk show, Breakthrough, with Dr. Steve Perry. Dr. Perry will join us with his insights about education, especially at this uncertain time in America. And producer of this program, Art Mendoza, will join me on this side of the mic so that he can fill us in on what's coming up next with Accomplice Entertainment. Continue with a bit more about reconnecting to our passion even during the time of a pandemic. And throughout this evening's program, we'll have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with any website links that are discussed on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years, or you can check it out on Apple Podcasts. And for information from previous programs, to listen to previous programs, read my blogs, all of that stuff, it's a one-stop shop. Go to my website, drmarakartel.com, and all of the shows that we've done here on blogtalkradio.com for the past six and a half years are uploaded and still available to listen to on blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. 
And for future events, follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break, but don't go anywhere. It's going to be a very brief break. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here by Dr. Steve Perry. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the facts. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone from the East Coast, we have Dr. Steve Perry, motivational speaker and uh, expert in education. And I'm going to let him talk about his history a little bit. So, Dr. Perry, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Cartel. How are you? I'm okay. Thanks for joining us. I just want to let you know that when we speak like this, there's a slight delay, maybe like two-second delay. So it's just good to keep that in mind. I can live with it. Okay. (laughs) So how are things going? I am having a time in my life. Um, I recognize that that no one of us is promised tomorrow. So when we get today, mm-hmm. we need to treat it like it is the gift that it is. So I am. Yeah, that's a good. I am completely immersed in in my today. That's wonderful. That's a great way to live. So um, thank you so much for being here. I know you know there's you're doing so many things. So why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background about who you are, so in case any of our listeners haven't heard of you. Well, I'm an educator. I think that's the most important thing. I'm a social worker um, who's of, for, and by our community. Uh, my, my greatest accolade is that I get to wake up living a dream. Uh, we started our own schools in Hartford, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Harlem, New York, and the Bronx, New York. And in so doing, have created an opportunity for our community to have access to our own schools. We've sent 100% of our graduates on to four-year colleges. And along the way, I've been on television and radio and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. <laughs> 
it looks like you've been on TV quite a bit. Do you, you still have you have your own show right now? Well, so that was short-lived, as it, as it can sometimes be in television land. But okay. more important than anything, it was, I mean, I get to keep my day job. And my day job is that I get mm-hmm. to work with children. And that, to me, is mm-hmm. more important than anything. Um, so I didn't lose anything by not being on television. I just gained okay. more time to work with my kids. Right. I, I get that. And I know that some of the videos related to what you did on TV are still up on your website, and they're they're very informative. So I watched the um, video about parents being accused of stealing public education um, and, and zip code discrimination. It sounds like there are so many issues going on right now with education and um Maybe you can address some of those issues, like the things that people are dealing with the most right now in education. And, of course, now, you know, we have a pandemic on top of it. I think our, I think that, you know, no one should ever count the pandemic as a good thing at all to anyone. Mm-hmm. On the same token, though, we should not overlook just how many opportunities it presents our community. Because up to this uh-huh. point, the only schools you, you could go to were the schools closest to you and or the schools that you can afford. We now have a day in which we're now in a day where we can go to the best school for us, which cannot be mm-hmm. overstated in terms of its importance. Right. Uh, you know, I, I agree with you that the pandemic is a horrible thing and that it's not a, you know, it's not a good thing, but we, I love that you're creating value from it. So it's all anything have, can, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we have to, we have to, as a community, we have to find the value in even the most tragic of circumstances. And this Absolutely. is just such a circumstance. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe in value, value creation, making, taking an obstacle and turning it into something good. So, so can you talk a bit about this, you know, what's happening right now in the world of education? I can. Um, what's happening now is, sadly, uh, specifically black and brown, but all children are being led astray by a system that was never designed to educate into the century. Um, few children are receiving anything close to an education in America now. Um, mm-hmm. What's happening is they're being played. Um, teachers are being paid to teach who are not teaching. And what they'll refer to as asynchronous learning, which means they make a video and play it, and then you learn based upon that. If that were all kids needed, then we wouldn't – have schools, brick-and-mortar schools. So clearly that's not what we need. Clearly parents and children want and need more. But um, we have shifted our focus from what the children need to what is easiest for the adults to do. And the COVID experience in particular has shown the light on that because mm-hmm. now we're seeing – just how much our kids have been played. So in what way? I mean, how are we seeing that right now? Because I, I, I'm, I'm asking really because I don't know. I don't have school-age kids here, so I'm really no, sort of removed from that. It's a, great, it's a great question. 
So how Mm -hmm. is because most families are finding out that their children are not actually being taught. Um, What's happening is some schools are sending home what they refer to as packets, which is the equivalent of an email. So if you didn't know how to do calculus before, emailing me to tell me what to do, it doesn't make it easier for me to do it. If I didn't know how to do it, I need somebody to teach me, show me. That's what teaching is. I need somebody to show me how to do it. And Mm -hmm. that's not what's happening. What's happening even in some of the quote-unquote best school systems is kids are not being shown. They're having little to no interaction with their instructors. And, and is this and even result, when, when they were going to school in person? I would say yes. Uh, the data mm-hmm. says that. The data says that um, the overwhelming majority of children in the United States of America, both black and white, Asian and Latino, Latina, rich and poor, who are attending traditional schools, were not being given the education that the system required, meaning the system of going on to uh, a four-year college because 75% of many of 75% of our children um, who tested uh, ACT or SAT uh, pre-collegiate tests did not college level work. So that's almost mm-hmm. three fourths of all children um, tested wow. below what you would need. And that's all children. That's if it's black kids or poor kids or Latina children or, uh-huh. or others. That's everybody. So what we see now um is the need to do something meaningful. And that, that which we're doing is to push the envelope to think about, edu- to reimagine education where uh, teaching online allows us to bring the most talented instructors in the world to bear regardless of where you live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It, it opens up a lot of doors, that's for sure. It certainly does. It certainly does. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to worry about transportation to the school. We don't have to mm-hmm. worry about um, uh, whether or not it's convenient for the families. We just need it to happen, and that's what we can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are fighting right now. We need to get our kids in school. We need to have them sitting in a classroom, even though we have this raging pandemic. (laughs) Um, But you're saying that sitting in a classroom really isn't all that great. No, it's definitely not. It hasn't been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has not been. It has not been. yeah. So, you know, how does this work? How, you know, I mean, you know, we're eventually going to get through this pandemic. Eventually there'll be a vaccine or, or it'll, you know, however it, it you know, we're not going to be in this situation forever, I hope. Um, uh, what going forward, what, what, ha- what's your vision for how education should be in terms, you know, in terms of making it better than it has been? We have to learn from this. We have to take the lessons that we've learned in the COVID crisis, like how to deliver teaching online, how to develop lessons online, curriculum online, and use that to propel 
the day-to-day -day classroom instruction as well as to expand access to the day-to-day -day classroom instruction across boundaries. Zip codes are postal codes. They're really something to help us to get our mail. They should not be mm -hmm. something that determines whether or not we live or die. It shouldn't be that easy to be done dirty by a system than just to live in the wrong place. Right. So, uh, you know, what are some uh, options for, you know, children, let's say, that live in a zip code where they may not have access to Wi-Fi or, you know, the technology? Um, so, to, interestingly to enough, online. there are very few. Yeah, so, interesting enough, um, most of our kids do have access. Okay. Like high okay. 95% have access. And people keep, you know, you'll hear people say that they're concerned about the kids having Wi-Fi access. Well, when was that, where was that concern during the traditional school year when kids had homework that required them to do it online? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not a new thing. Um, okay. So, so they have access through their phones, uh, through their computers. They have access. That's not our issue. Our issue is, are the teachers taking the time to establish the uh, excuse me, establish the processes of teaching at the level that they should? And that answer, mm -hmm. sadly, has been no, no, not not long, not no. for long. No. Now, what do you think is the reason for that? Because, like, some of the thoughts that I've had, um, are, you know, I've known a lot of teachers who really work really hard, but they complain that they're not getting the support that they need to be able to teach um, the act actually important information that they they have to focus on kids passing these tests, especially here in Texas. You know, they have these yeah, that's uh, an excuse. state tests. That's, yeah, okay. that's an excuse. Because if they had to focus that much, if they were that focused on passing the test, then how come more kids are not passing the test? Okay. Okay. It right. would seem to me, so right? If I'm, if I'm mm -hmm. focusing on losing weight, if I'm saying I'm focusing on losing weight and I keep gaining weight, you would, it would lead you to believe I may not necessarily be focusing on losing weight. So what is, what is missing is accountability and support for teachers to show them how to take information that is in their head and put it in other people's heads. It's not mm -hmm. a given that you, because you know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, that you can teach someone else how to do the same thing. Right. Right. Now, the other part of this that I have a question about is uh, uh, the financial support, because I know, you know, teachers in certain areas, don't even aren't even given the money for supplies and have to buy yeah, it so again that again that's <laughs> honestly it's another excuse ask okay. them what supplies what supplies do you need to be able to teach a kid to read teach a kid to write okay. Good teach point. a kid to do math Good point mm -hmm. like what do you need if you have a phone if you have a chalkboard if you have a whiteboard if you have a smart board because what they're not telling you is it's not the resources, it's not the technology, it's the caliber of the person in front of the class. Where we get lost in this conversation around education is we think, look, I know a teacher and she's really smart and she's really nice and she's a good mother and she's a good wife and she's a good friend and good sister, good aunt. She's good. 
You can't tell me that she's not good. And then you take the leap and say, and so therefore she's a good teacher. Nah, not so much. She could mm-hmm. be all those things, all those things, and not be good at her job. Mm-hmm. We have to measure a person's capacity to do their job by the job that they do. If, if I had a, a physician who lost 84% of her patients, she could be a good mother, a good sister, a good friend. She might be pretty and smart and outgoing. She's not a good doctor. Mm-hmm. And because so many of us know so many people who are teachers, we cannot believe that someone who's chosen to do this for a living could actually be bad at it. Mm-hmm. But the data is what the data is. The data is saying that 86%, for instance, of the kids that we accepted into our school in Harlem in the 10th grade, 89% were below grade level. Of that 89%, 89% were at least two to three grade levels behind. Mm-hmm. The kids didn't do that to themselves. And we can't say, well, because their parents are not involved and because they don't have the resources at home because they have to take their, their younger siblings off to class and they have to work after school. That doesn't mean that 86%, I mean, 89% of them? Come on. That's not even true. First of all, 89% of my kids don't have to take care of siblings. 89% of my kids don't have um, uh, a job. 89% of my kids don't have parents who could, couldn't give a damn. It's just not true. It's just not true. Right. It makes a nice. It makes for a nice um, uh, excuse real. It makes real, real sense to a lot of people because then we think, yeah, I know a mother. She doesn't seem to be caring care much about her children, who am I to say who she cares about? She's doing the best she can. She's doing what she knows how to do. Right. So how can I judge her but not judge the teacher? Well, here's my question, okay? This has always puzzled me, so maybe you can help me with this. So when I was in school, I mean, I'm from New York, and I went to school in, you know, inner city schools in New York, you know, um, and in the 60s and 70s. I was born in 62. Um, I came home. I did my homework. I didn't, my parents didn't, weren't involved in doing, in helping me with my homework. They cared. That didn't make them not caring people, but it wasn't expected that our parents would actually be teachers. Exactly. Let's take it one step further. But I'll take it one step further. You know who else doesn't do homework with their kids? really wealthy parents who send their kids off to a private school that's a boarding school. Do they not care? Mm-hmm. No one would ever accuse them of not caring. Only when we blame the poor and minority to let the middle-class, largely white teachers get off the hook. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm confused because now I hear, you know, and I have, you know, I've had clients who've come to me with kids and I hear how much work that they have to do to help their kids with their, with their schoolwork. And I was, and I, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Because my parents never helped me with my schoolwork. They said, "We're not in school. You are." You know. Dr. King I said. Mean, Dr. King said in his book, "Where do we go from here?" Community of Chaos. Dr. King said, "Your school should be so good that you cannot tell who the child's parents are." So, mm-hmm. is it a requirement for a child to do well? that their parents know how to teach them? Is it a requirement for a child to learn 
Spanish, that their parents can speak Spanish? Is it a requirement for a child to learn calculus for the child, their parents to not just know how to do calculus, but have the time to teach them? Wouldn't that be homeschool? I, as a parent, can set up the the structures to make sure that my child does his homework, but I can't Mm -hmm. sit with him with both of my sons to make sure that they do high school level work or that they do how and do my job. How, how, right. Well, we're seeing that now with people having the, you know, in the last portion of last semester when everybody was on lockdown and suddenly they, all of a sudden parents had to be teachers. And that's why a lot of came out about maybe not going right back into the classroom because they're, they don't know how they're going to do it. And that sort of puzzled me too, because I thought, well, why, if the teachers, if you have online, why can't the teachers be teaching it like they're teaching a classroom? Why do the parents because have to be? Because it's easier to make excuses. We keep letting people who are teachers off the hook because we want to treat every person who is a teacher like they have taken a holy oath and that they are fulfilling something meaningful. And we should. And we should also hold them accountable. Every teacher, psychologist, preacher, mm-hmm. pastor, uh, imam, uh, rabbi, doctor, every person who picks a job isn't good at it. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it just, it just is so. And so one of the things that more teachers do need is someone to help them to learn how to teach. In fact, most of the teacher education programs has nothing to do with teaching someone how to take an idea from their head and put it into someone else's. Think about it. Hmm. You know people who, if you wanted to learn something, you'd ask them because they just know how to tell people how to do it, right? Right. Like I'm right now, right. I normally, normally when I cook ribs, I smoke them. But today, I'm grilling them. I usually don't grill them because um, I have a smoker. So today, I'm grilling them. Well... I don't know how to grill them, so I did what people do. I, you, I, I Googled it. I see a bunch of videos on how to grill ribs. I watched it. They showed me how to do it. Some, some of them show me better than others, but all of them give me a sense of what it is. I take that, and I take what they've just shown me, and I put it on the grill. And tonight we're going to have mm-hmm. ribs. Okay. That's the point. The point is that if you're going to do online learning, for instance, you have to create lessons that were created for online learning. You Teaching at its core is showing someone how to do something. So when you show someone how to do something, what you do is you put together a video that shows the ribs and shows them uh, putting the, the uh, brown sugar in and, and shows them putting the, the cured sugar mm-hmm. in and and, and takes it through and shows them how to brush on the butter and all the things that you do and then says to put it at 200 degrees and leave it there for an hour. I mean, these are things it shows, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying if, – if someone can teach me how to make ribs who I've never met, don't have a relationship with, never going to go to their class, you mean to tell me somebody can't teach a four-year-old how to add? Mm-hmm. Come on, man. Stop it. Because they, if they know how to, if they know how to and want to, then they can. If they don't know how to do it, just because they're a teacher doesn't mean that they're gonna that that they're good at it. Mm-hmm. 
And this mm-hmm. is the hard conversation that most people don't want to have because what they say is, how dare you? My wife stays up all night, and she's, maybe she shouldn't. Maybe she shouldn't <laughs> stay up so late. Tell her to get some sleep because the strategy she's using right now is not working. She's not working. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it is, it's the open secret that if you go to most schools and you ask most teachers, what percentage of the people in this building would you say are great teachers? None of them would tell you that it's above 30%. None. They'd say hard workers. They'd say kind people, nice spouses, nice friends, all that. I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, why would I? I don't know well, these people, but I can look at well, their data. We have, a good, we have a good point because when I look back at my schooling, I remember who the great teachers were. Like they made they, the, those teachers that had an impact, and I thought, wow, that teacher actually, like, the subjects that I had trouble with, that they actually helped me to be able to absorb it. I remember them. They stood out. And I so, guarantee you, you have on your hand at least three fingers free. <laughs> well, I was exactly. in school for a long time, so there were I had a lot of contact with a lot of teachers. So it's a little more than that, but... <laughs> Elementaries, there were, there were just a handful, I would say, because I, I took a lot. Of, I had a lot of different. I, I had a lot of different teachers moving in and out of the classroom, so I would say like a handful of teachers in elementary school. And therein lies my a, point. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for us to have an honest conversation about who's doing a great job. Imagine, if you will, if we took the handful that you had and a handful that somebody else had, and put them all in one space where all of us could learn from them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now what are we doing? Now we have the best people. Imagine if the only doctors you had access to were the ones who were really, really good at their job. Now when yeah. people talk about making a whole bunch of money, now that you, you, you only pay the people who are really good at what they do, these are the conversations people don't want to have. They don't want to have this conversation because at its core, what it feels like is you're going to fire people who are really nice. Yeah, that is true. You are, which may be one of the best things that ever happened to them. I lost a job at a college, and my very good friend and brother, Yusuf, um, after I told him that, he said to me, that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And I said, brother, a little too soon on this one, man, a little hard. (laughs) I just lost my job. He said, no, 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 no. Now your talent will be what guides you. I've never worked for anyone other than myself in an organization Mm -hmm. that I started since 1999. So tell me about your organization. So I started one shortly thereafter that, which was an upward bound program. And then after that started a school and then have since started uh, started a magnet school, and then since then have left that school and now started a charter school network in uh, New York mm-hmm. and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So how do, how do people get into that, get their kids into that charter school? Just apply. Uh, and by application, it just means write your name. Just tell us that you want to go to mm-hmm. school. You don't have oh, to okay. take any tests or anything like that. Right. So that's in the New York, so the New York and the Connecticut area. Yep, but once we get our act together and get this online learning in place, we'll be worldwide. 
Really? So you're going to offer yep. your program to everyone? Everyone that we can. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So just like one, you know, we don't we only have a few minutes left, but if you had any suggestions for listeners who might have school-aged children or grandchildren that they're responsible for, um, what would your message to them be? What do you recommend? Follow your instincts. If it doesn't feel right, it ain't right. If you don't feel like mm-hmm. ask your kids at the end of the school day, what did they learn today? And if their answer is anything other than a whole bunch of answers, if the answer is nothing, listen to them and go mm-hmm. in and advocate for your children. And don't let anyone use the excuse of COVID or online learning or kids getting headaches by watching too many videos, any of that stuff. Those are all excuses. And they're used to get adults off the hook who simply need to push their practice and be better at their job. If you're a psychologist, a psychiatrist, social worker, either you will meet with your clients online or you will cease to have a job. True. And you will find a and you will find a way to do it. And you don't get to say, mm-hmm. man, you know, I really wish I could be there with you. You're gonna say that so many times. Either you're gonna find right. a way to do it online, or you will not have a job. You could say I was educated as a psychologist. You could say I used to be a social worker, but because I couldn't sit in a ten by ten room with them, because I can't do that, I cannot work at all. Mm-hmm. Every other industry has to adapt. We do too. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a learning curve, but you yeah, go for through all it. Of us. For you, all. you do what you – I mean, there's a learning curve for me doing telehealth, but, you know, you just have to do it. Right? Or don't you get, get paid. You get through it. Right? Or you don't get paid. <laughs> exactly. Right? You can sit and yeah. tell all your friends, oh, well. And you could – and I'm sure if I gave you five minutes, you can come up with some really good reasons why it's impossible to do what you do electronically. Uh-huh. And you come up with them. And all that would mean is that all your clients are going to find somebody else who knows how to find it, uh, who knows how, who find someone else who, who's willing to do the work. Right, right. Well, I know in my work, um, telehealth, I, I don't want to go back to sitting in, a, in an office. I like I really like the telehealth better. <laughs> so, and, I'm gonna hear, and I'm here to tell you that I actually don't want to go back to brick and mortar. I actually mm-hmm. think that what we're doing now, but let, let, let me say, I want people to have options. That's not what I don't want to say. I don't want to go back because I do think that there's something for some people, but I don't think there's something for everyone. I think that we have right. to create more opportunities for different people to learn differently. And I know that telehealth is no think about what you're doing. What you're doing is discussing with people the most tales about their life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get deeper than what y'all are doing. Right. That that would be blasphemous two years ago to even <laughs> consider doing anywhere other than in a private office with the door closed and the white noise playing and, and a couch mm-hmm. and all those other things. Now what people are saying is, you know what? I actually feel more comfortable in the comfort of my own home or in my office or in my car being able to say what it is I need to say. We make do. Right. Now people are saying, you know what? 
I can contact my therapist from work during lunch. Yep. Yep. I'm for that. I don't Yep, yep. And and like you just mentioned about being able to help people that are far away. So, you know, not everybody is close to a therapist. Some people live in areas that are pretty far away. So Texas is the best example of that. So mm-hmm, if you absolutely. don't have a, a so let me use an example. Let's say that you have a son who is black and you want a black therapist for him. Mm-hmm. Right. And if there are no black therapists in your zip code, what are you supposed to do? Just not get a black therapist? Or, or drive a you long could way. Look up, <laughs> or, or, right. Or you could look up and say, oh, there's a sister right there. Yep. And she's taking new clients. Yeah. And you can go in mm-hmm. your room and shut the door and have the conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you can do that. At, and you can you can do that. You can find people you can who do it specialize. Yep, and you can list a whole bunch of criteria and find that therapist that's perfect for you that may live, you know, hundreds of miles away, in a different country. Even mm-hmm. it can live in a different mm-hmm. nation. Yep. So now, so, so, mm-hmm. now. What we've done is we've opened up the world to our children. I mean, does it get better right. than that? Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that's great. And I really love that, that the positive that can come out of this situation that's not positive in many ways. <laughs> so what, it, what makes it positive is our right. approach. Yes. It, 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 use, use therapy as, as a final example. If one of my principals has a newborn and his wife is working and he's supposed to go to his therapy appointment, but he can't physically get there, should he not go to the therapy appointment? No. He could just put his child down, let the child go to sleep, and do his appointment right there. Absolutely. Yep. Because the implications of him not getting a therapy are far greater than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we take that approach in education, everything changes. Game over. Now yeah. we're going to get it done. Now yeah. we're going to stop whining and complaining about this, and we're going to get in here and get this thing done. For real, for mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So... Um, well, let me ask – I'm going to ask you another question <laughs> before we go. When you said listen to your kids and advocate for them, how did they do that? You know, not many parents know how to advocate for their kids. That is a great and question. Advocacy is as simple as contacting the school and asking questions. Just calling okay. the teacher, your child's teacher, and saying, hey, my son said he didn't learn anything today. He's probably just goofing around, but why would he say that? And then make him answer it. And right. they can, it, it. There's a point at which they can they'll be able to blame the child a couple times, but there's a point at which he can't come home saying he learned stuff. He didn't learn anything every day. Like he can't always be his fault. <laughs> he can't always. Uh huh. We might need to actually have a conversation about this. Like it. 
it can't always be that he's just a bad kid. Like he just can't right. always be bad. There's gotta be something else going on here. And 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 is it possible just for a moment that the way in which you're teaching this information it's not making its way to his brain. So it would be like mm-hmm. if you were what would you say if you went to the red lobster and you came out and the food was burnt? Mm-hmm. Now they might say you just like it to cook too uh you you don't you don't like the way they cook it. Okay, that's fine, but there's a point at which you gotta own that we are the customer. And so <laughs> right. as a parent you have every right to say, I hear you, I hear you, but we actually are expecting him to come home having learned something. So mm-hmm. if he's saying he didn't learn anything, then do you own any responsibility for Because I would think, right, imagine you as a therapist, someone talking to you after, hey, how'd that work with her? Uh, I ain't feel nothing. Uh-huh. You don't then turn around and say, that's your fault. <laughs> right. You wouldn't ever do that. You know what? Mm-hmm. Let me sit down. Let's have that conversation again. Let's maybe... Yeah, you would want. I would imagine that you would want your clients to feel like there was a value added. The same is true of a caring instructor. A caring sure. instructor should feel the same way. They should. If you say, if you as a parent say, "Look, my son, my son said he didn't learn anything today," that caring instructor should say, "Oh my God, I feel so badly about that. Let me see what I can do. Maybe we stay after school tomorrow. See if we can work something out. Because uh, that shouldn't happen. That should yeah. not happen." So apparently well, I didn't do my job. You, yeah. I'm going to give you a personal story about that just to, like, support what you just said. <laughs> like I said, I went to school in New York, and it was a public school. My first four – kindergarten was great. First, second, third, and fourth grade, I had, like, the worst teachers. Seriously, the worst teachers. And, like, fourth grade was, like, the – icing on the cake because every day was like having a substitute teacher. You know, the sub would come in and the kids all went crazy and never paid attention. That was my fourth grade teacher every day. And, um, you know, but I was, you know, I would push through and try to learn as much as I could, but I I hated school because it was just, I just had these terrible teachers. It was mayhem all the time and I had to really struggle to, I had to do a lot of the work to learn because I really wanted to, but it wasn't like. At nine years with any old. Help. Right. It was not with any help of my teachers. At nine. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So I used to complain about my teachers all the time. And, you know, my parents would say, you know, I don't know what's going on. You know, let's see what happens next year. But, you know, finally, by fourth grade, when it just was like ridiculous. Um, my mom figured out that the good teachers who were known to be really good teachers, their classes were filled with all the kids whose parents were involved in the PTA or were teachers themselves. And they would get the pick. They would get the top pick, those who were known to have good teachers. So there was some event at school, like a concert or, or like I think I was in the glee club or something singing, and my parents came and my grandmother, <laughs> and they decided this was a good time. that They went in and they had a sit-down with the assistant principal, and my mother said, I figured this out, and this is not going to happen anymore. 
fifth grade, she goes into one of the good teachers' classes. This is not going to happen anymore. And they were like, you know, this is ridiculous. And they said, well, you know, somebody has to be in those classes. And they meant just that. And they meant <laughs> just that. And she said, well, it's not going to be what she was saying, anymore. <laughs> and what she was saying was, because these people got to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because uh, the last thing on earth that anyone should say is somebody's got to be in these classes. I, I yeah, you know, and I think it was probably with the help of my father and grandmother there that, that my mother didn't just completely <laughs> flip out because you know in the situations like that she'd be like what what <laughs> so um. Needless to say, fifth and sixth grade, I had the teachers that were considered the top teachers because she, because they opened their mouth and they said, this isn't going to happen anymore. Um, so I think I, I get what you're saying. You have to be calmly be able to do that. If she would have flipped out, then maybe that wouldn't have gone that way. <laughs> maybe not. Right. Well, sis, it was a real pleasure to to meet you and talk to you, and I hope you have a fantastic yeah. evening. So, can you before Thank you for you having go, me. can you can you let us tell our listeners who how to find out more about you and to sign yeah. out about your charter school? They can go to at Dr. Steve Perry on Twitter. Um, I'm saying Dr. Steve Perry on Facebook and uh, Instagram, and I'm up there every day, so you'll know what I'm doing because I'll tell you. Okay, great, great. I'm going to post that on my post. Thank you, and you have a good evening. Great evening. Enjoy your ribs. All right. I plan to now. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell in your golden years right here on drmarakarpell.com and on blogtalkradio.com. And Art is going to speak uh, next week, perhaps, about what's coming up in Accomplice Entertainment. Um, and I'm just going to spend the last few minutes just um, – saying a few things about following your passion, even during this time of a pandemic. And I like what Dr. Perry talked about in turning this um, situation as bad as it is into an opportunity to create value and find, figuring out how we can take some lessons from this to use it, um, even when things open up. And I think that one of the biggest lessons for me and for the watching people around me has been in having compassion and generosity and kindness 
even while we are going through a really hard time. And I know that a lot of people, part of the hard time is feeling disconnected from their passion, feeling disconnected from joy. I've spoken to a lot of people who feel like every day is the same and they're on a treadmill that isn't going anywhere. They're not moving forward. But what, how were we moving forward before? Was it just going out and just doing stuff? Um, I think this is really a good time to reconnect to that passion by getting to what's really important. All of those outer layers have been stripped off. We can't just make ourselves busy anymore. Most of us, um, you know, there are people who are really busy right now, but for most of us, we can't go out and just be busy going to sports games or going out to bars or going socializing, going to the beach, um, or feeling like we have to do all these things um, that are, you know, really important but aren't really that important that keep us from really focusing on what's, what is really important. That has been stripped away. And a lot of people... Um, tend to look at their own situation and just say, poor me, I'm in this really rough situation and I'm really angry. And maybe that's what causes people to do risky things like go out to a bar or go to sit in a a restaurant indoors when it's not safe to do that. Those are the least safe things to do. Or to go out and not wear a mask because they're like, you know what, I'm tired of this and it's hot. And so I'm just going to go and and I don't care anymore. Um, I think that anger and that feeling that we're, you know, not able to do what we want to do um, propels that. But if we really have compassion and we understand that it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about us, it's about the broader community and people are dealing with all different levels of difficulty during this time. Some people are fighting for their lives physically or they've lost a loved one or many loved ones. Some people are fighting for their life on an economic level because they lost their job and they don't have the ability to work from home and they don't have any other income. And so they're being threatened with eviction from their home. Um, they have trouble putting food on the table. They're going to food banks to get their food. People are really struggling right now, and we don't. And so, those of us who might, our struggle is we can't get to see our friends or go to dinner. It's really pretty minimal. Um, can create purpose. We can reconnect to that passion and that purpose when we turn this into an opportunity for focusing on having compassion for the people in our community who are really struggling and understanding that, okay, I can put off um, doing those things that I love to do um, or that make me busy um, until we get this together. We need to have solidarity with each other, even though we're, we have, we can't see each other physically. We can't, be together physically, but to have solidarity, to work toward a common goal of eradicating this virus. Um, And the only way that we can do that is to stay apart right now, to wear a mask, to not do risky things that spread the virus. 
this virus needs a host, a human being to live on. And in, the, in order for it to really grow, we need to pass it from one another. If we don't give it an opportunity to be passed from person to person, that's how we see it start to decline. And if we could keep it at a minimum until they can come up with better treatments or even a vaccine that that's safe, then we're, you know, everything's great. So having compassion is really important. Um, Every, you know, uh, every Thursday I've been taking a Zoom meditation class with Dr. Lawrence Edwards, who was on the show in January, and I had gone to his meditation class last summer when I was in New York. He, he had his meditation classes in New York. Um, again, an opportunity was created by this pandemic. He said, you know, we can't meet in person anymore. So now we're going to Zoom, and that means that anybody can join in. So now even when he does eventually go back in person, he's going to continue the Zoom. So now I'm taking his meditation classes that I could only go to when I went to New York every Thursday. It's a wonderful opportunity. And now all of those have been uploaded to YouTube. So I've been following that, and, and I do recommend, highly recommend it. Um, if you look up Anam Kara, A-N-A-M, Kara, C-A-R-A, Foundation, on YouTube, you can follow his YouTube. But he wrote a book <clears throat> with poetry about, that, about meditation and connecting to our divine self. And so he wrote this very short piece, Compassion, the greatest, um, say, the greatest path is compassion. The greatest discipline is patience. I don't remember the first. The greatest goal is compassion, I think it was. I left that word out when I wrote this. The greatest discipline is patience and the greatest path of love. Resolve to faithfully and enthusiastically follow these and you will know yourself to be free. So if we have the compassion for understanding that others are also some much more than us greatly affected by this pandemic and vow to be part of the solution rather than the problem. And we, the solution being having patience and not rushing to go and do things that are not yet safe and feeling love in our hearts for other people who are going through a harder time and sacrificing with that feeling of love, not feeling like we are being, um, uh, you know, that we're being abused by the sacrifice, but we actually are doing it with this feeling of love. I'm doing it for you. You're doing it for me. And opening our heart, allow ourselves to love those of us who are different than us and to want to be generous and kind rather than focusing on our own pleasure. That as Edwards has said, will lead to feeling free. And for me, feeling free is feeling connected to passion and purpose. We can actually be connected to passion and purpose sitting right at home in your own, in your own house, your own apartment, your own room, knowing that you're doing this for other people. 
and doing this with the feeling of love and connecting to that feeling of love. And then, you know, doing things for other people, actually donating or connecting to people and seeing if they're, they're okay and that sort of thing. So I'm going to leave it there um, because this is a really big topic, but I really wanted to get that out before we um, evening. <laughs> so I'm going to let you know what's coming up next week. Next Sunday, August 2nd, we'll be back with another live show from here in Austin, and we'll be joined by the friend of the show, Lauren Tarrant, co-founder of Well Beyond Care. And this time, Lauren will discuss how to safely have a caregiver in your home or your loved one's home and how to safely be a caregiver during this time of COVID-19. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show and listen to previous programs, go to my website, drmarikartel.com. And also, if you want to hear this evening's program, and as soon as five minutes from now, go directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden ears, and listen to, or you can listen on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Maricartel, your golden ears. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And thank you to my guest, Dr. Steve Perry. And, of course, thank you, Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.